scientists on a NOAA research vessel collect plankton and plastic debris across the Pacific Ocean. An estuary in Wisconsin is the newest addition to NOAA's National Estuarine Research Reserve System. And NOAA adds visibility and wave data to real-time oceanographic systems in five maritime regions around the nation. Those stories are coming right up. It's Wednesday, November 10th, and you're listening to Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. Scientists on board the NOAA ship Okeanos Explorer just finished up a journey at the end of October that spanned thousands of miles across the Pacific Ocean. A team of NOAA researchers led by the National Marine Fishery Service conducted an amazingly long sampling survey of plankton, those tiny microscopic plants and animals that drift around in the ocean. And along the way, they also surveyed plastic debris through what's popularly known as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Now let's talk about the plankton first. It turns out that not much is known about these microscopic organisms that live in the far reaches of the Pacific. And why do scientists want to know more? Well, for starters, plankton forms the base of the entire marine food web. It's also the most abundant form of life in the ocean. And it's the world's number one source of oxygen, responsible for 90% of all the photosynthesis that takes place on the planet. That's incredible stuff. So plankton may be tiny, but... As you can see, they're critically important to life on Earth. So the plankton sampling across the Pacific began with a cruise from Guam to Hawaii with the help of an instrument that's called a continuous plankton recorder. This device was towed behind the ship and about 10 meters below the water during the transit from Guam to Hawaii. And it's a pretty ingenious tool. As the ship moves through the ocean, water and plankton enter the nose of the rocket-shaped recorder. And inside the device, a slowly advancing silk screen filters out all the plankton. This silk mesh is then rolled up and is stored so it can be brought back to a lab for later analysis. So the researchers collected plankton on these rolls of silk screen all the way from Guam to Hawaii. Then they continued on to collect even more samples during the next leg of their journey from Hawaii to San Francisco. Now taken together, these samples will reveal the types, numbers, and distribution of plankton across more than 5,100 miles of the Pacific Ocean and this is believed to be the longest sampling effort of its kind on record. Now let's move on to the plastic part. The researchers didn't only collect plankton during the trip from Hawaii to California. During this leg of the journey, NOAA researchers teamed up with the Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC San Diego to study plastic marine debris as they crossed through the so-called Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Now this is a large area in the North Pacific Ocean where marine debris, mainly small bits of plastic, collects within the calm center of a high pressure zone that's called the North Pacific Subtropical High. Now to gather up samples of this debris, they used an instrument that's called a mantinet. And this device was periodically towed on the surface of the ocean behind the ship, where it filtered seawater and funneled bits of plastic and surface plankton into a sampling container. Now you might have a mental image here of visible chunks of plastic floating in the water. While there are large pieces of plastics and other debris in the region, most of the plastic debris is ground up into really, really small pieces. Some bits are as small as pollen, so it's not detectable by satellites or airplanes. In fact, it's often not even visible from a boat. So this clever method of capturing these tiny bits of debris is one of the few ways to get a good picture of what's there. So why do this? Well, researchers hope that these samples will help answer some basic questions, like how large is the plastic debris, how is it distributed, and how is it affecting marine life? They also want to know about the makeup of the plastics, 
so scientists at the NOAA Northwest Fisheries Science Center in Seattle will be testing for toxins that might be on or in the particles, and this will help expand our understanding of the impacts the debris can have on marine ecosystems. Now, we know that marine debris may have harmful effects on marine life, but it's important to point out that there aren't any known studies that specifically research how many marine mammals die each year directly due to marine debris, things like plastics and derelict fishing gear. But what's even lesser known is how plastics affect plankton, the smallest organisms on which all other marine life feed. So you can see why this long cruise was so special. Scientists were able to collect plankton and plastic together through a vast region that we just don't know much about. Insights gained from this long sampling effort may help researchers detect future changes in the region and lead to a better understanding of how plankton communities are responding to features like the Pacific Garbage Patch. And ultimately, by combining the plankton and plastic sampling data, scientists may be able to begin making connections between plankton and plastic to figure out just how much of an impact the debris is having on this critical part of the marine food chain. And one last note, the work conducted during the cruise can be considered exploration since so little is known about these vast regions. So it was a great fit aboard the Okeanos Explorer, that's the nation's only dedicated exploration vessel. The work was conducted during what's called at sea time, and this is the period when the ship is in transit from one area to another. In this case, the Okeanos Explorer was returning to California following a joint ocean exploration expedition with Indonesian partners in the largely unexplored Sulawesi Sea in Indonesia. The ship is always exploring, acquiring data and imaging the seafloor while underway. Since the ship had to cross the entire Pacific Ocean to get back home, it was a unique chance to use that time to further explore an area where very little research has been done. And that's a pretty good use of travel time. If you want to learn more about the cruise, check out our show notes for a link to the Ocean Explorer website where you can read updates from the cruise, learn more about the science behind the mission, and see some pictures. And you can see what a continuous plankton recorder and a manta net look like. And by the way, the net does look kind of like a manta. And we'll also post a link to the Ocean Service's Marine Debris Program so you can learn more about the concentration of marine debris in the North Pacific Ocean. And you can learn more about the broader problem of marine debris around the globe and what's being done about it. Nearly 17,000 acres of freshwater marshes, uplands, and river on the shores of Lake Superior in Wisconsin became the 28th member of NOAA's National Estuarine Research Reserve System at the end of October. Federal, state, and local officials welcomed the new Lake Superior National Estuarine Research Reserve to the system on October 26th with a celebration and public gathering. The new reserve is located in Douglas County. That's in the northwestern corner of Wisconsin where the St. Louis River flows into Lake Superior. Official designation of the Lake Superior Reserve culminates a six-year process that began with site selection, continued with development of an environmental impact study, and a comprehensive management plan. This multi-year process was done in partnership with scientists, agency land managers, public officials, and citizens representing local, regional, and tribal interests. So what does it mean to become a reserve? Well, the designation means that the unique St. Louis River freshwater estuary will serve as a site to study natural resource management techniques and to apply what's learned to problems facing coastal communities, like maintaining clean water, protecting wildlife habitat, and preventing and controlling invasive species. And research conducted at the reserve could also improve the health of local freshwater estuaries and assist other Great Lake communities. The reserve's educational programs will also allow individuals to experience freshwater estuaries firsthand and see their unique resources, 
making it a community asset and a destination for students and visitors. And check out our show notes for a link where you can go to learn more about this new reserve. And finally today, the Ocean Services Center for Operational Oceanographic Products and Services recently added wave and visibility measurements to the volumes of real-time data served up by ports, that's the physical oceanographic real-time systems, at five of the nation's 20 heavy traffic maritime areas. NOAA's ports are kind of like air traffic control systems for shipping ports and busy waterways. What they do is provide mariners ranging from casual boaters to oil tanker captains with real-time information so ships coming into and leaving busy waterways and ports know exactly what's going on in the water and in the air. This information helps prevent ship collisions and groundings, and it helps keep ocean traffic moving as efficiently as possible. Port systems provide an incredible range of observations, real-time data on tides, currents, water and air temperatures, water levels, salinity, atmospheric pressure, wind speed, gusts and direction, and even clearance levels under bridges is freely available to mariners through an online portal or by calling a toll-free number. And now we can add two more measurements to this long list of observational data at some of our nation's busiest seaports and waterways. Wave information is now being delivered through four ports regions in partnership with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers via real-time wave observation data from buoys operated by the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. The new stations with wave data are in San Francisco and San Pedro, California, Clatsop Spit, Oregon, and Cape Henry, Virginia. Now, fog is also a major concern for maritime traffic. Mobile Bay, Alabama is susceptible to heavy fog throughout fall and winter months. And that led NOAA and the Alabama State Port Authority to select Pinto Island and Middle Bay Port as sites for two operational visibility stations. In addition to visibility sensors giving mariners the ability to see clearly, these two stations also contain air temperature and relative humidity sensors to supplement visibility measurements. Additional visibility installations are planned for other ports, including Narragansett and Chesapeake Bays. And again, port stands for Physical Oceanographic Real-Time Systems. We have 20 ports located throughout the nation. And they provide over 50 major seaports with real-time ocean information. You can check tidesandcurrents.noaa.gov ports for more information. And that's all the news for this week. If you have any questions about this week's podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, you can send us a note at nos.info at noaa.gov and visit us online at oceanservice.noaa.gov. We hope to see you there. Now let's listen to the ocean. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll return in two weeks 